Welcome to season three of the Charity Matters podcast. I'm Heidi Johnson, lifelong helper, nonprofit founder, and your host. I've been interviewing the helpers for a decade with my blog, and I'm so grateful to now be sharing these inspiring conversations on our podcast. Join me as we learn the challenges and stories of innovators, entrepreneurs, and modern day heroes who set out to solve the problems of humanity. Have you ever hung an empty frame on your wall? Probably not. Today's guest, Miriam Cobb, the founder of the Empty Frames Initiative, shares with us her inspiring journey to help the children aging out of the foster care system in the United States. And I can tell you, you will never look at a family picture in a frame the same way again. Join us. We are so excited to have Miriam Cobb with us today, the founder of the Empty Frames Initiative. And I can't wait for her to share with us her incredible work with youth and what she is doing to help so many kids in need and to share with us exactly what it is that she does with her fantastic nonprofit. So welcome, Miriam. Thank you for having me, Heidi. I'm excited to be here. Oh, we're so happy that you're here. So first and foremost, tell our listeners what it is that the Empty Frames Initiative does. And then I need to hear about how you got the the name for your organization. But first, tell us what it is that you do. Yeah. So what we look to do is empower orphaned and vulnerable youth as they transition out of state care. We do this by providing training in life skills, community, counseling, and access to the gospel. Wow. So your your people that you serve are kids that are coming out of basically foster care, the foster care program. Yeah. So here in the United States where we're starting, we're working with youth who are coming out of the foster care system. And that can happen between ages 18 and 21. Um, And we hope to eventually expand globally working with kids sometimes as um, young as 14. So, wow. I mean, it's, it's, and some of the statistics on, what is happening to kids. And I've, I've interviewed numbers of nonprofits who serve youth homelessness, but the homelessness statistics from children coming out of foster care are tragic. It's something like 40 some odd percent of stu- uh, children who leave foster care have nowhere to go. They have yeah. nowhere to live. They're, yeah, almost immediately. Yeah. I mean, there's like, boom, it's your 18th birthday. Here's your black plastic trash bag, no suitcase, gather your things, bye-bye good luck to you. And there's, there's nothing that helps these kids. And when you think about just, you know, an 18 year old, they may be legal adults, but there's, there's a lot that's not adult about 18 year olds. I mean, they're kids, they're kids, they're absolute kids. So tell us how you got the name for your organization, Empty Frames Initiative, because I'm just intrigued by the empty frame. And if you we will talk about your website, but I love just even looking at the visual of the empty frames hanging on the wall. Thank you. <laughs> talk to me about, I just, I'm curious, how did you get the name? Yeah, I love our name. It gets us all kinds of conversations. It, it's and so cool. Thank you. There's, there's a lot of pieces to it. Um, so first, when um, I was originally pitching <laughs> this nonprofit, I was with a group of entrepreneurs. They were like, what is something that you would really love to do? And I was like, I really love to um, photograph adoptions. And um, when I do that, I'd really love to teach some of the youth in those orphan care settings um, photography, because you hear about this all the time that like, sometimes they feel that their story is being exploited by others who are trying to like 
solicit donations or just explain what's happening. It's like, this really should be a narrative that they're in control over. And um, the other side of that is that a lot of them don't in, in some of the smaller countries or um, even I've even met some here in the United States, they don't have a lot of baby pictures. There aren't these people that are like, I'm, I'm honoring your story. I'm respecting it. There's this synonymous idea of, your picture being on the wall, meaning that you're part of someone's life and family and it's important. And, and that was something that was really Mm. important to me. Um, and so there was that, thanks. Yeah, there was, there was that piece. Um, and after I pitched this idea, the entrepreneurs in the room, they're like, well, we only like the name. And I was like, (laughs) wow, that's a little harsh. Thanks guys. (laughs) Um, but the, uh, (laughs) <laughs> you know you were on to something. You knew you were yeah. on to something. You yeah, had like, we name. want you to dig deeper, explore what's right. really happening here. They're like, are you passionate about photography or about people or what is it? What's the right. what's the right. driving motivation here? Um, and you know, after crying, <laughs> uh, back to the drawing board. Um, and um, there was this other piece of this that I hadn't really considered, but the more I dug into it, the more this um image kept coming back to my mind. I had served with an organization in Eastern Europe. Um, and while I was over there, I saw these really old abandoned Soviet buildings. And it was kind of weird. Cause that's like, I know, I know the history of the area. I understand that there's stuff there, but to see these like massive buildings that are just completely empty in the middle of nowhere, not being used. I was like, that's weird. Especially when I'm working with this organization that could potentially be using, I'm like, so what are they doing with that? And the person right. I was with was like, oh, nothing. It's just, it's just abandoned. I'm like, well, are they going to at least tear it down? Cause that seems like a kind of messed up remnant of their history. Mm-hmm. They're right. like, no, that's money too. And it like stuck with me for some reason. And um, there kind of was this merging of ideas of these places that people saw no value in that were these mm. big empty frames that could be filled with purpose. And so, right. um, so and that like was these children thing. and like these yeah. children. And right? so, and then as I was trying to figure out like, how would I actually go about teaching orphaned youth photography, um, in a country like Latvia, which is where I had served. Um, I realized that there was this really weird vulnerable stage when they aged out and, um, like that would be when I would have access, but that's when the rest of the world also has access to these young adults. There's this understood, right. this understanding that like at 16 or 18, whenever it is that they age out, they don't have anybody and there's no one really looking out for them. And so seeing that they, by their own, like in our own societies, we have this understanding that they're not like that they don't have an immediate purpose, that maybe their right. history is messed up or flawed. Like there's this, this concept around the world that their history is more than their potential. And it's, it's so right. clearly untrue. And, um, right. And, so and that your past things, doesn't define your future, but exactly. somehow, and, and, and what I love that you're, that you're saying is that, you know, you think about not having, a, even a past it's recorded it's almost like you didn't exist it's right. almost like you're an invisible person and then the systems in in the united states and it sounds like around the world um which i'm not as familiar with you know definitely say like you know 
you're invisible because you're now on your own. Like we, we fed you and we, we gave, you know, foster parents money for you for all these years, but you know, you should be good now. Bye-bye. Good luck to you. And, 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 and as we all, I mean, I've raised three sons that are adult and at 18, they went to college, but they were in no possible (laughs) with all the support and love that they've been given in in a stable home. They were in no way capable of launching themselves, paying rent, going to school, getting a job. I mean, impossible. There was no way that my children could do that. I mean, they're fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but that, that's (laughs) just not. And I, and I challenge those people who've had an 18 year old would say the same thing. Right. So it's it's just crazy that the world does this. Yeah. And I've met so many parents who are the exact same response. They're like, there's no way <laughs> there's, there's no, no way, way. I could have my 18 year old and essentially like disown them from any like feedback, any connections, any support that I could give. And I, the more we've been doing this work, the more I've been looking around at the world and at myself. And I've been like, there's no stage. There's no age where someone could be completely cut off from a support system and be okay. There's no, 100%. there's no, like age where it's like, okay, now you're going to be self-sufficient adult. And I'm like, what would that right. even mean? We live. Well, in- and, and I haven't even gotten to your, your journey and your story, but I'm going to just railroad <laughs> this because I had an interview. Um, I interviewed someone a few couple of weeks ago uh, who reunites homeless with their families oh. and um, homeless organization. That's incredible. Miracle messages, really incredible story. Yeah. And um, yeah, they're incredible. And I was talking to Kevin, um, the founder. And uh, he was telling me that when he was talking to a homeless um, gentleman uh, or an unhoused neighbor, I think is the term that he uses. When he was talking to him, he said, I wasn't homeless when I lost my home. I was homeless when I had no friends or family Mm -hmm. or social connection, no network of support. And so to your point that these kids, they need complete connective tissue to hold them up. And it isn't necessarily even a roof, which they don't have either, but they also need people to support them, guide them, love them and all that. So without railroading the whole conversation, because I go off on these tangents, so forgive me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, so, you know, you didn't wake up saying you're going to be a nonprofit founder. You started thinking you were going to do photography. You obviously are very big heart and you're very philanthropic and you have all of that kind of going on, but you know, what were the steps besides being um, in Eastern Europe that led you to doing this? Was there like, there's, there's a path, there's, there's some things that happen along the way. And, and usually there's like a moment. So (laughs) if you have a moment, I'd love to hear it, but if there's a couple steps along the way, I'd love to hear that too, because you don't just get there. There's things that happen. So share with us that you're a little bit of the journey of, of starting the empty frames initiative. Yeah. Um, my personal journey, I, I am from a Christian home and there's a lot of that woven into my story, just the way that, um, God kind of moved. But, um, when I was entering high school, it's really random, but I read this book called choosing to see by Mary Beth Chapman. It's, um, her autobiography and, it's so random, but just a piece of it is about her adopting three girls from China and then processing when one of them passed away. Um, And through that, I really felt called to work 
in the field of adoption and orphan care and and fostering. And I I didn't know what that meant <laughs> because again I'm like I'm like fourteen. But there 15. are no coincidences. Um, there are no coincidences. I don't yeah, believe there's in those. not. And um and for me at that time I was like okay well I'll probably adopt in the future and that would be amazing and it was just this thing that was like in the back of my mind and um. I would do research. I'd look stuff up, just curiosity, because that's how I—that's how I am. Um, and right. so, I was, and so, I was just looking into those things, and um, I don't, yeah. But <laughs> you read a book. You read a book, and you you think there's something, re- yeah. a seed's planted. Something resonates. Yeah. You go abroad. You see these empty buildings. You see children abroad. You see people without homes. Like things are percolating here, right? There's yeah. pieces coming together. So you come back, and and you're still, I mean, a very young woman, and to be doing this work, which is so fantastic, because people don't usually. I mean, I'm not saying there's an age on anything. There isn't, but right. but I love that. I love how young you are and that you're doing this. It just makes it that much more beautiful to me. So when um, you get back, what are the pieces that fall into place that make you think before, you know, pitching this idea and all of that, you pitch the idea, you cry, actually, you know, it was actually a lot of pieces falling apart to be honest. Um, (laughs) That's sometimes how it happens. Yeah. I, um, so after my first like semester of college, I was like, I think I'm supposed to be doing something else. And so that's why I went with this group Josiah venture and I served in Eastern Europe um, for a summer and I was just teaching camps, um, English camp, sports camps, music camps. I'm not qualified to do any of that, by the way, but, <laughs> but I was just, you know, serving how I can. Right. Um, and then I came home and I was like, I think that I would like to continue along this kind of path. I'd like to do this with what I feel led to do. And so I applied to a lot of positions where I could work with um, orphanages around the world. I tried to um, get into some colleges that would help me be prepared for like international business. Like those were the things right. that I was doing. And I kept getting a lot of no's. <laughs> Like just closed door being redirected on your path. That's all that is. It's just a sign saying you're not going in the right direction. Yeah. And you know, that's so fun to say at this point, because I can clearly see that that was what was happening, but it was about a year of being told no and redirected. And the way that I had actually ended up at that entrepreneur, like it was kind of like an incubator program. Right. Was a friend seeing me getting all these closed doors and being like, hey, I'm going to this uh, conference in California. Would you like to come? And I was like, well, that's random. Um, Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I wouldn't like to go, but I was like, right. My life is falling apart a little bit over here. What what do you mean? Um, But my parents were really um, supportive and I looked into it and they had this entrepreneur track and that was kind of what I want to pursue anyway. And they were like, Hey, what if this could work out? It was my friend invited me the week before this conference. I was like, well, yeah, maybe it could work out, but I have no idea how that would happen. Um, and in a really weird, I can only give the credit to God kind of way. Um, the money came through to provide for me to go. They still had a room open and they had a spot left in the entrepreneur track. There were like, there were like five different tracks, like music, um, art, 
graphic design. They had all these different things, but they had a spot left for me in the entrepreneur track. And so I was like, okay, we bought my tickets like the day before I had to leave. And (laughs) so it was just this really weird um, thing that brought me over there. Meant to be. (laughs) Meant to be. Absolutely. And um, these people that I was getting to pitch my ideas to, and these things that I had like, just that were stirring in my heart, they were, they were kind of a big deal. <laughs> they were, they were connected to Microsoft and to Disney and oh, to wow. um, these other organizations that just like, you know, they, they knew what they were talking about. And right. so I didn't want to waste this opportunity, but as soon as I got there, they're like, okay, pitch us your idea. And I was like, okay, well, I wasn't prepared. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I just bought oh. a ticket yesterday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I, um, this, this idea of, photographing adoptions had been something in the back of my mind. Like I had a Pinterest board and, you know, just ideas. And so I went ahead and I pitched that and I got that feedback and I was like, Oh, (laughs) but, um, pretty quickly in that first week after a lot of, um, prayer and just like, um, quiet time and getting to it's, it's one of those things I try to explain people. It's like, there's this blessing of time that (laughs) we give. I, I, I like, Divine time, divine time. And there's, and I think that's one of the things that we do get to pass on to our kids that we want to pass on through empty frames to these young adults is time to think about what you really care about, right? What you're passionate about and encourage you to do that. And so during that time, um, with the research, seeing these aging out kids, all of these ideas kind of came together. And, um, I had people at this conference that I had gotten to meet and they were like, well, are you actually going to do it? I'm like, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if this is what I'm actually bringing home or not. This was like a, this was like a pitch and, right. um, and it's a huge vision. Like we see this need around the world. This is something that needed to be done and it needs to be done right away. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm watching kids my age aging out without any family and it's hard. Right. Um, but I was like, I don't know. That's something that it's going to be very clear. It's going to have to be something divine. Um, telling so in what year did you decide to, it, it's relatively new. What year did yeah. you decide to get your 501c3 and make it official? 2015. That, wow. Yeah. Wow. So we've been going well, and, for about six years. And I think that, um, you know, you, you, t- I, I think people, you've said a word that I think is so important that people really realize Nonprofit founders are entrepreneurs and people don't always think of them as one and the same. And, yeah. and they are, it's the helpers meets the entrepreneurs. And it's this beautiful convergence of the two. Mm-hmm. That is a really rare species. I like to say that they're angels on earth personally, <laughs> but, but it's a rare species of, of human being that wants to serve humanity, but is an entrepreneur. At the end of the day, we start businesses that help people and mm-hmm. And we serve humanity and everything that comes with that from illness to education, to foster care, to abuse, to, I mean, you know, you list all the problems. There's an on-profit organization for, you know, to help solve that problem. So I think that it's really fantastic that you even identify yourself as an entrepreneur because when I tell even other nonprofit founders, well, you know, you're an entrepreneur. They're like, oh no, I'm just, a, I just started a nonprofit. <laughs> but, but the other thing that you said that I think is important is that um, of the hundreds of people I've interviewed, no one has ever set out initially to do this work. Everyone mm-hmm. is rerouted. Everyone starts down one path and they end up on this path. 
And their intention when they're a child or they graduate from college is never to start or found a nonprofit. I mean, I've, I've yet to interview that person. I'm sure they, they must exist, but I've yet to find <laughs> them. Um, something happens to everybody that sets them on this path that's an unexpected journey, which is also, I think, what's so interesting. So to, starting any business is hard. Being an entrepreneur is incredibly hard work. Um, yeah. Being an entrepreneur that runs a business that relies on the kindness of others is even harder. So tell me some of the challenges you've had since you've started this in the last seven years. I mean, it's it's incredibly hard to start a, a nonprofit. So share some of the, the challenges you've had along the way. Yeah, I agree. There are a lot of challenges and it kind of like mirrors life. Like there's an up and down cycle for each nonprofit and they're kind of like, you, you have those really great moments and then you have those moments where it just feels like it's a down <laughs> for a yeah. while. Yeah, um, yeah, that would be life. Yeah. So for our, um, for our organizations, some of the challenges, um, that I feel personally as, as the founder that been kind of hard have been, um, learning how to really equip volunteers and provide them mm-hmm. with meaningful roles that they can thrive in as we're right. building. Like you said, it is an entrepreneur. It's a, it's an entrepreneurial venture and Correct. startup life isn't for everyone, yeah. but when you pitch what you're doing, there's so many wonderful and well-meaning people who are like, I want to be involved. And I'm like, I need people on the board. They're like, that's not for me. I'm like, right. well, check back with me in a couple years because <laughs> I'm not ready right. for you yet. And so that's one of the things that I've had like a hard time with personally. Like that's one of the ones that I think um, perhaps my age was like, that was one of the few times that I feel like my age was the negative factor was trying to figure out how to really equip volunteers with something that they can thrive in when I'm myself trying to learn how to do this, this work. Well, and I think that as the founder, um, we're often like the passionary, you know, we are the ones with the torch and we're trying to light a fire under everybody. And people are excited about our passion and they they sense our passion and they wanna be a part of that passion. But yeah. then when it comes to, okay, I'm here now, what do I do? It, it sometimes doesn't translate to their skill set or how they can be engaged. And, and, and it's very, it's, it's not simplistic. And also a volunteer workforce, and I know, cause I run an organization that relies <laughs> on one, um, is hard because you have to meet them where they are and be grateful for what they show up with. If they show up because they're volunteering, they don't have to show up. Yeah. And, and it's a really hard way to, to run something when you're like, okay, can you be here at three? Sure. And then three o'clock. Oh, sorry. Whatever. Wait, wait, wait what? You know, it, yeah. it, it's really yeah. hard. And when, and when you're in the start, it's like, there really aren't any paid roles for a little while. And no. so it's like, you know, we, we do what no. we can with what we have and right. it's beautiful the way it comes together. But sometimes it's like, this has definitely, I, I like when you ask that, I'm like, that has for sure been one of the biggest struggles that I've, that I've dealt with is really learning how to manage volunteer roles right. and, and make it something that's worthwhile to them too, because I'm like, this is something that should be a beneficial experience and it should be something right. that like builds on to your life too. Right. A win-win. Right. Yeah. And that's how you want all volunteers to feel. You want volunteers 
to feel that they just spent the best hour of their life, that they're so grateful to be a part of this. And they're so excited to be a part of it and that they're so appreciated and that they're, they loved like the positive feedback as much. They want to come back for seconds and thirds and (laughs) they're hooked, but it's, but it's, it's easier said than actually done. So I understand that's, that's a, a huge challenge. And I think one that's so many, um, so many of us share because it, and that doesn't, that doesn't, it does get easier and better, but it, but the, those innate challenges will always kind of be there. And that's in that model, right. It's just kind yeah. of, it's just kind of how it works. Kind of comes. <laughs> yeah. And we've been, I've, I will say we've been really, really just blessed with some people who, when I said, do you want to be on the board? They were like, yes. And they did it and they were amazing. So I'm grateful for them. Um, yes. And so like, if anyone's listening, it's like, they are out there. There is someone who wants to be involved in the dreaming piece. Yes. Um, but it is hard. And <laughs> so you well, and I'm going to do a shout out for another nonprofit and for everyone listening. And this also goes for you to take note if you don't have it. There's a wonderful organization called catchafire.org. Catchafire.org nonprofits like yourself will say, I'm looking for board members, or I'm looking for a three week, um, you know, project to do a marketing plan, or I'm looking for a graphic artist for a logo and mm-hmm. the graphic artist listening or the marketing people listening, rather than like stuffing envelopes or volunteers, someone saying, I can do that remote from my house in wherever they are geographically. I could work. I love what Miriam's doing, the empty frames initiative, and I could volunteer um, for them. And I would love to be a part of that. And so you put out what you need on catch a fire as a nonprofit and the volunteers come to get a really clear defined, um, project or role that they can be a part of. And it's a, it's kind of a matchmaking service. And, um, and it's brilliant because I think there's so many people, um, especially our listeners who are incredibly educated and smart and intelligent and have time to give, but don't know where, and so they would go onto the site and say, gosh, I love helping youth. I love foster care. I love this. And these are my gifts and they match you. So um, that sounds anyway, awesome. for, I'm going to look yeah. that up for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely recommend. I definitely recommend that as a source of volunteers and really um, top-notch people that have really great skill sets that can, that want to help and that can help. So I think, and for anyone listening who hasn't gone to catchfire.org to sign up for something, if you're looking for a place to volunteer, there's just a really great um, idea. So as I digress once again, so I know that this work is hard and it is tough and starting a business is tough, but you know, there's days where, you know, you still have your laundry, you still have to go to the store, you still have a life, you still have to deal with all the things everybody else has to deal with, your bills and everything else. And, and yet you're dealing with kids who need you, kids who are relying on you. And I always say the bucket is heavy because we're carrying people on our backs. We're not you know, trying to make a few extra pencils in the pencil factory. We're trying to, to care for people. And there's days when you just think, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this. Like you said, there's really highs and there's lows. So what fuels you? to keep going um, when it's tough, when it's hard, what fuels you? Yeah, it, <laughs> it's a good question. Um, personally, my faith does play a major role in this. It, it does. It's right. the belief Absolutely. that this is what I'm called to do as a person. Um, right. And to walk away from it is to walk away from something that I've 
been shown on purpose. You know, it's like, I can't pretend I don't know anymore. Right. Um, trials and setbacks are challenging, but there's this like really wonderful motivation in knowing that this is what you're called to do. And so that's, that's how I feel about it. Um, I've been really, really fortunate to have a family that supports me while I do this work that, um, helps me with that load. Like you're talking about, like, I wouldn't have been able to do it without my family support and my community support. Right. But, um, ultimately like the answer to that question really is God, that's what keeps me doing it. I feel, I feel completely convicted that this is what I meant to do. Yeah. Well, and also I think once you help one person and you, you know, that in some small way, you were a tiny cog in their wheel and they're changing their life. There's yeah. something addictive. That feeling is <laughs> yes. like no other feeling. I mean, it's the most incredible, powerful feeling um, that I've ever had besides like being a parent that, um, that you want more. Yeah. You, it, it makes the, you want to keep going. Right. Yeah. And as the entrepreneur behind it, like as the founders, we get to kind of see, oh my gosh, this idea does work. This right. is successful. And it, and it's, like you said, kind of addictive to see it's like, this could be something amazing. And right. it's, we're, we're at the beginning of it. So it has to keep going. So I think that that that's great. So, um, I hate asking this, but I still always do. Um, because it's something that I think everyone is thinking about getting involved or donating, whether you're writing a grant or whether you're just talking to someone who wants to be involved in the organization, they always want to know about your impact. They want to know what have you done? Who have you helped? How do you measure your impact? And I appreciate and respect that because we need to be held accountable. We need to be good stewards of those that support us. And, um, and it's good for us to set goals and meet goals and, and all of that. But when you measure the impact of a child who doesn't have a home who now has a place, you measure changing a trajectory of, of helping an unhoused youth and getting them support that they need. Like there's no way to measure that. So how would, how do you measure um, the empty frame, empty frames initiatives impact? How do you measure that? Yeah. um, We actually had that conversation really early on in our organization um, because of the guidance that we had from mentors along the way. And we were like, how are we going to measure it? And um, we were, we've been working towards having our own site where we can do really direct discipleship of like four to five youth at a time. And we were like, when we started, we were going to measure by, we gave them everything we could. Like, yes, we can say completely, we did provide these four to five youth at a time with counseling community training and life skills and access to the gospel it's not going to be measured by who decides to accept christ it's not going to be measured by who um gets a really great job afterwards it's that we provided it for them and we're not going to lose connection with them right um as we've continued and we still haven't had the building we've adjusted that like um success measurement and it's become how many people have we collaborated with how many people have we educated with the yes. knowledge of aging out of the connection to human trafficking, to homelessness, to these things. Um, and we kind of like, personally, I find myself like reevaluating the success at the end of each year when I'm trying to write our like annual report. I'm like, okay, what went well? 
Right. Um, and then, and then taking the time to really acknowledge each success that's, that's big. And one success I'm really proud of is our book. We were able to like pilot the only piece of our curriculum that's like exclusively ours is the story is storytelling through photography. And we went through a, a, a trial of that a few years back and we turned it into an art gallery and then into a book. And I'm really proud of it. And so it's like, we kind of measure success along the way by what has been successful of what we're doing? Where is our right. time going? And is it leading to what's meaningful to the people we're trying to serve? So, right. And are you, are you finding that your kids that you're serving and helping are staying on a successful trajectory? Are they, um, are they, are they housed? Are they getting yeah. jobs? Are they, you know, pr in, with prison, they call it recidivism. I don't know what they call it, yeah, yeah, yeah. never say, but, um, no, but with foster care, of, right. Like, like we, we if you catch measure, them, like, do, they, if you catch them, <laughs> do they stay above water? You know, like what, I don't know how I don't, I'm trying to find the right words to say, but you understand well, what I'm trying I, to I understand ask. what you're saying. Cause it's, it's very much the way that we would kind of word it is like cycle breaking. Um, okay. because we see a lot of these kids and their families have had prior experience with social services. And it's not like they're the first ones to be in foster care. Sometimes right. the parents were, or the grandparents, There's it's really cycle. weird. Um, right. and so, and then the cycle of like, it's fascinating science that goes into like trauma and domestic violence and into homelessness. Yeah. There's a lot to it. Um, and, and so, they're so intertwined so often. Yeah, they are. And so are they, the ones we work with able to like break the cycle? Are we able to help them? And right. I see that as being a continued connection to us and to a community because they, the real cycle I, I, that I witness is their families being isolated and disconnected right. from their community not having someone that they could call to babysit. And so their kid was left alone and, and it was neglect, right? Right. Like those are the types of things that really create these weird, more severe needs. Um, I will say that we've been working towards having a, like a facility, right? We're, we're not right. there yet, but that's going to be when we have a lot of youth that are like specifically like, oh, they're, we would consider them ours. If that right. makes sense. We've yeah, been yeah. partnering with a lot of people. And so the ones that we've met, that we've been able to um, connect with. I'm really excited to say we have had a continued relationship. We see that that desire for community really is there. The ones that we've met, we've been able to go to like birthday parties and weddings. Wow. And um, we've been the babysitters. We've been the people helping them move houses. And so, yeah, I think that. So you're supporting them in all the ways that a family supports yeah. Supports their child. And, you know, of course you'll babysit your, you yeah. know, someone in your family. And of course you'll help them move because nobody wants to move, but right. It's right. Like, nobody wants to do that. <laughs> You've got to be like the best of friend. If you're going to help someone move, like nobody wants to do nobody that to do that. Nobody yeah. Wants to so do that. <laughs> um, so hopefully there's some movers listening that can help you. <laughs> we, we have actually had this really great um, company that we partnered with and they gave us a huge discount because we were like, we need to move some really heavy furniture. And they were like, well, we'll help out. Um, and so we see, yes, there is some significant cycles being broken in their lives because they have community. They haven't had to do the same things that they've, that their parents felt they had to do. 
And so that's fantastic. I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, that's when you, you know, you're on the right track because that's the, that's the key to make sure that it's, that the cycle is not repeating itself. And, and there's so much that goes into undoing, um, patterns, right. To, to breaking those, to breaking patterns of behavior. Um, so obviously you're a dreamer because you're an entrepreneur. You can't even, get as far as you've gotten without having the dream of even doing this or even thinking it or saying it. So, um, and most entrepreneurs and nonprofit founders are dreamers and they all have usually a big dream for their organization. So tell me the big dream, Miriam, what's the big dream Yeah, for the Empty Frames the big, Initiative? The big dream is taking our program throughout the U.S. and then internationally and equipping communities and our target client, it that that's the big dream is having multiple sites that are serving these youth, and that is educating the community to where our site is hopefully a little less needed, because I think if more people knew about what would happen when they aged out, we would have more people stepping into the role beforehand right. to be to help to them. be parent parents mentors community. I I think that's a very good dream. I like that dream. I think that would, and God knows, God knows we need it with homelessness on the rise mm-hmm. and kids aging out every single day of the foster care system. Um, you know, we need a place to catch these kids. We need to catch them and, and protect them from just a kind of a crazy world that's out there right now. So do you have a motto or a phrase that you kind of live by or use, or you find you're telling your volunteers or kind of your go-to phrase? Um, we, we have a couple, the one that was on our first like set of shirts was only believe. And it yeah. was, a, it was a Bible reference, but right. it was, that's all right. It was, it was just um, a reference to the story of the man who, they told him his daughter was dead and not to bother Jesus anymore. Cause he was trying to bring him to his house as soon as possible. And Jesus said, if you'll only believe it's going to be okay. And so we kind of like summarize it because it's like, it's not really something we do. It, it was, right. it was the act of asking and bringing Jesus to his house. Right. It wasn't really any work on our part that made those things happen. Right. Um, it, it, it just happens. Yeah. Well, I, um, I, this gentleman I interviewed the other day, I was telling you about, um, with homelessness, he had, um, and I think that maybe you can borrow some of his shirts. It's his, it's his logo. It's his logo, but I loved it. And it made me think that it would work so well for your kids. It says, everybody is somebody, somebody, mm-hmm. yeah. everybody is somebody, somebody. And you think about these kids, like, like they need to be somebody, somebody, and you're, you're making them somebody, somebody, they might not feel like they are, but they, they become part of your family. You know, they become part of your, the community that you create for them. And if they didn't have a family, they feel like they have one. So they become somebody, somebody, which I think is um, really what holds us up, you know, as much as anything, people always want to say, oh, let's just give someone a house. Well, a house isn't a home without love, right? Like you need to give them the love. It's not, it's not giving the house or giving them the fish isn't going to feed them, but giving them a pole, you know, is going to, is going to give them, give them food and teach them. So I think that, um, what you're doing is so beautiful. So not, there's nothing against your age, but there are life lessons along this journey. You've been doing this work for seven years, almost. 
And, you know, what do you think you've learned along this, along the way? What have you learned in doing yeah. this work? Um, a lot. <laughs> I've learned a lot. Um, I think one thing that's been really, when I was, when I was kind of preparing for this and I was thinking about this, I was like, there's one thing that's like really at the front of my mind. And it's just that life comes in seasons. And as much as we'd like to kind of bypass some, they all build on each other and they're getting us to the right place. Yeah, so that's been that. something that, um, I love that. That's true though. It, there is a season for everything. Yeah. And, um, and sometimes it isn't the timing, especially when we're entrepreneurs, we're hardwired toward, we've got to make this number and we've got to make this goal. And we, we want to try to force things to our, our vision. And it doesn't always work that way. It's just not. I'm an not impatient the, person. Like I, I, <laughs> there's parts of me that's like, I was not, I was not made for some of this stuff, but, but this is what I'm calling. <laughs> None of us are. None of us are, yeah. by the way. <laughs> yeah. You're in really good company. You're in really good company. Yeah. So because, it's been, that's been one of those lessons that just has been continuously, like, even when things are good, I'm like, I would like it to be better, <laughs> but it's like, it's seasons and it's getting us to the right place. So. Right. Or, you know, or faster. I mean, sometimes Patience yeah. is not really my, my strong suit. Um, I'm impatient. I have an idea and I say, okay, we're going to do this. And I need to see like, you know, I want instant gratification. I want to see that this is working. Yeah. It, it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. And I think um, I like your slogan of life comes in seasons, because I think there's a season when we realize like, you know, it, we're not in control and it's going to happen when it happens. And it's going to unfold as it unfolds and we're going to do all the work we can do, but it doesn't mean that it's going to happen on our time because it doesn't yeah. always, doesn't always go that way. So do you think you've changed it all since you've started this? Yeah. Do you think this work has changed you and how yeah. so? I, it has, it, there's things that like, it hasn't, it has not changed my personality. There's things that people wouldn't have known ahead of time. Like I'm not, it was really weird when I started because I'm not like a really extroverted person, but I'm not like scared to talk to people. <laughs> it's not like, right. people like you're so shy. It's like, I'm not shy. I'm quiet. There's a difference. Right. <laughs> there is a so difference. I've, so I've been, you know, talking to more people. It's, it's grown a lot of things and stretched me in ways that I wasn't really um, expecting, you know, for the, um, for the better, I'm assuming for the better. Yeah. I think that like, I had the, just building on that same thought from before of like seasons, I had some really specific plans for my life that I was like, this is going to work just like this. And then it didn't. And I'm like, oh, but working towards something, <laughs> working towards something that I feel passionate about really changes the way that those things happen. You know, it's like what would have felt like complete derailment gets put into a different perspective of like walking in your purpose. It's weird. Wow. Um, but do you have lucky you are to be at a young age to have that purpose? People yeah, look for I, most of their lives and have no idea. They have no clue. And, and it's such a gift. It is it's and such it, a gift. And that's kind of like the other thing that's changed is I feel really, I feel really excited to have the opportunity to tell people it's like, there is something you're supposed to do. There is something that your life is, is supposed to be about and um, right. kind of challenging us that even though we're this really short, like blip of time, there's a lot that we, we are able to do during it. 
And so um, it's changed a lot of a lot of things, but it, I I don't even know how to really explain all of it. <laughs> it's just well. Me. It's been, and it's also, you have, you have. And I think even purpose, I mean, I've interviewed a number of people and I've never read the book and forgive me for not knowing his name. It's Rick something. He's a very famous, um, author, maybe big Christian guy, Rick something. It's called the purpose-driven life. Oh, I I don't know the author either. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's called Rick something. Forgive me for totally, if I'm messing that up, I could be so wrong. People going on Amazon right now trying to find it. Um, (laughs) But I've interviewed a handful of of nonprofit founders that read that book and they'd had this idea like you and that book made them realize I need to live a life like this. I need to live a life that's that's purpose, that every day I do something toward my, you know, and that book connect the dots for them. And I think of how many people, um, you know, lead lives that they feel maybe aren't fulfilled. And, And I always, you know, think, well, you can't serve other people and not be fulfilled. I mean, I'm not saying everyone everyone has to go out and serve somebody, but if you want to find the quickest way to being fulfilled, it's helping somebody else. It's it's the it's the it's the way. It's definitely the way to go. But I'm so impressed that you, at your young and very wise um, perspective, had that epiphany and the wherewithal and the just the the self-reflection to know it, hear it, and do it. I mean, that's incredibly admirable, Miriam. And 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 I just think it's it's really remarkable for what you're doing to help these to help these kids. So tell us where we can follow you, where we can support you, how we can get involved. How can we volunteer? I mean, tell us where yeah. all the things that we can do to support you and your work. Great. Yeah. So if you want to find us, we are at billingemptyframes.org. And there you can find all kinds of information about our organization and you can find um, volunteer applications. And if you want to contact me, you can go through that website and I'll, I'll get whatever email you submit. Um, and, and I can help connect you to a group that might be doing something similar in your area. Um, you can also find us on social media. We're at Empty Frames Initiative on Facebook or Instagram. You can find us on Twitter, but please don't follow us on Twitter. We're not active. Um, <laughs> I hear that. That's how I or, feel. Yeah, I'm not or, a big Twitter person. Yeah, we have a LinkedIn and eventually there might be something on there. But <laughs> um, if you like it, it's I'll hard please. to keep up with all these platforms, isn't it? Yes, there, there are too many. And the thing is, I haven't figured out who our volunteers actually want to follow on. So if you if you heard this and you're like, I want to follow, follow on your preferred platform, and then I'll try to post more there. There you um, go. Backwards I, engineering I this. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, if you want to read the stories of some of the young adults we've worked with, you can go onto Amazon or Barnes and Noble and find our book. It's called The Story of Foster Care. Oh, I love that. I love that. Miriam, you are a gift to the world. And I'm so grateful to you for all you're doing for all of those kids out there. And I'm going to call them kids, 18 or not. I'm calling them yeah, kids. I do too. And, um, and just so grateful for you for sharing your story with us today and the beautiful work that you're doing and i know everyone listening is really excited to um to support you and follow you and learn more about what you're doing so thank you so much 
Thank you again for having me. It was great. You are so welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Charity Matters podcast. I really enjoyed talking to today's guest, Miriam Cobb, about what it takes to start a business that truly changes people's lives. I think Miriam's comments about life coming in seasons was so inspiring and true. To learn more about modern day heroes like Miriam, or if you'd like to reach out to us, visit us at charity-matters.com or connect with us on Instagram at Charity Matters. If you enjoyed our conversation, we would love it if you shared it with your family and friends. And please don't forget to leave a five-star review. Remember, together we can make a difference. One small act of kindness at a time. Charity matters.